Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Tales to Terrify. Last week we heard stories from two authors, Folly Blaine and Zachary Siebert. Both terrific stories and narrations. I did want to point out that when the episode had published, there was a typo in Folly Blaine's name. That last name should have had an E on the end. That's been added in the show notes now. On a bittersweet staff change note, Philip Oldham will be leaving the staff roster. Recently he received a promotion that will certainly benefit him, but will likely demand much more time from him. During his time with the show, he has done work that carried the show when real life kept me too busy, and introduced new efficient workflows, and let's not forget the interviews and narrations. Thank you, Philip. Tonight we have two stories for you. The first will be a bit of flash from J. Robert King, who we have aired a few stories from in the past. Over the course of his 20 years as a published novelist and short story writer, J. Robert King has written many tales to terrify. In turn, his various publishers have often sent him royalty letters to terrify him, or at least annoy. Listen with me to J. Robert King's Beach Barbie. There was a woman lying on her side, red and still upon the faded beach blanket. She had all the lines of a woman that would not open her eyes for me, though she was horribly red from the sun, and the umbrella that once shielded her golden tumbling hair had rolled one tine too far to shade her any more. I approached from behind, 
close enough for the thong bikini she wore to set my heart splashing. But that red, that dead fiery red of her flesh. I told myself I wanted to warn her about the sunburn, perhaps even to apply some ointment. When I neared, though, I could see it was not sunburn. She consisted of hamburger molded into the form of a woman. I knew then that I had a chance to score. I introduced myself, asked about her sunburn, eased myself down onto the blanket beside her. She was not a steak woman, not even a pork chop, but as I said, their lines are not for me. In an hour we were touching. In another, I was rubbing A1 over her tired flesh. In another, I noticed the graying of her feet and the sides of her hips. But it wasn't until night that we consummated right there on the beach. And then I started a bonfire and cooked her up in nice juicy patties. That was J. Robert King's Beach Barbie, as read by our own editor, Scott Silk. Scott Silk spends long days staring into the dark heart of corporations and is forbidden to speak about what he sees there. In his spare time, his interests include reading, writing, urban gardening, tattoos, cartoons, seeing how long he can let his hair grow, and not wearing pants. Originally from rural western Pennsylvania, he now lives in Brooklyn with his girlfriend, two cats, and a collection of houseplants. He can sometimes be found babbling about speculative fiction and other interests on Twitter, at ScottSilk13. Our second story for the evening is from John Palisano, and just like J. Robert King, his name is well known around these parts. Palisano's The Geminis, as narrated by Robert Neufeld back in episode 122, is one worth listening to, if you haven't already. John Palisano is well known to readers of horror library, Darkness on the Edge, Phobophobia, Lovecraft Ezine, Harvest Hill, Halloween Spirits, the Bram Stoker-nominated Midnight Walk, and many other dark publications. Nerves is his debut novel, and he brings to it a bucket full of fear, terror, and pathos. You can visit him at www.johnpalisano.com where you can learn about the writer and his upcoming projects. And now, John Palisano's Long Walk Home. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Our world falls. Black ash blows from the sea and sticks to cars and houses like sticky, toxic kudzu. Swirling pastel-tinted clouds streak across ocean cities 
gray skies ozone flavored rain wets my lips and moistens my cheeks gold-tinted memories loop inside my head danielle smiling danielle laughing her little brother andy wiggling in his high chair the little guy giggles dangling his plastic green spoon over his head with me nearby never looking more at home there's still hope left in finding them but it's fleeting the chemicals that had mixed with the seawater had brewed a toxic soup unlike anything fema had previously seen not only had our allies turned on us near the end of the war they'd been our worst enemy unleashing toxic germs into our water supply on top of everything they'd gotten a lucky natural sucker punch hurricane george hit the east coast three days later with one hundred twenty mile per hour winds our little peninsula took the brunt poison penetrated everywhere sewers overflowed safe water became scarce food supplies quickly diminished those who didn't die from the initial exposure soon fell ill from what we nicknamed the sludge the national guard cut us off while the government seemed to be waiting for us to die no more work down the pier for me no endless music no faithful friends everyone that meant something to me vanished right before the phones and lights stopped working we heard whispers get out of ocean city if you can head to the Netherlands. there will be convoys and trucks and national guard to tell you what to do you'll be safe at the arena it's just off the jersey turnpike i didn't trust it too easy with too many people in one place if i were looking if i were responsible for the attack it'd be perfect take everyone out at once wipe your hands clean that's why choosing to stay behind felt right it isn't just me either there were other people lurkers looking like sharks smelling blood from miles away you can feel it your nerves fire and your guts know a lurkers close the sludge leaked into our beautiful island beach turning the shore red and black the sand stained my white shoes with ox blood splotches get out of this stuff walk faster i thought danielle's place is just a few blocks up on waterway road you'll be safe danielle rousseau wandered onto the pier one warm august night and waved a flyer toward me what time do the bands start tonight i told her the openers come on about eight o'clock she squinted and pointed at me didn't you go to martin middle school evan stevenson right that's right danielle rousseau she put out her hand i recognized her name and her bright blue eyes we went to middle school together and we were both freshmen at ocean city high danielle told me her parents had split up and that she was living at her aunt's house with her three-year-old brother andy we're right on waterway the clubhouse lagoons in back of me you can see the harbor there was a southern accent in her voice i didn't remember 
She explained how they'd temporarily moved down to North Carolina right before her parents' divorce. Their way of trying to work things out. When that didn't work, they decided to move back close to her grandparents, who still lived over in Freehold. My own folks were split up, and I lived with my dad. We suddenly had a lot in common. The entire time we talked, I couldn't look away. Magic fire oozed from my fingertips. My throat tightened. Instinctively, I knew things would move forward with her, and she'd be okay with it. I asked for her number, and called her once my shift ended. I know I should have waited a few days, or whatever that rule is, but I really wanted to talk to you more, and I didn't want to wait. She laughed and agreed. It was really good timing, running into you. Who knew? It started with a couple of sodas at her place. Real PG stuff, you know. We kissed that first night soon after Andy went to bed. Things became hot and heavy over the next two weeks. Then she pulled back, freaked out, got nervous. Didn't want to jump into something serious. What's the big deal? Big deal's me. I'm not ready. The trace of southern accent in her voice gets thick. She won't look me in the eye. She won't turn her head up. Is it over? No. Let's just put us on hold. Did I do something? No, no, no. Really, I just want to slow down because... I like you. Like you a lot. She turned her head up finally, gracefully, and smiled. Maybe there was more to it than that, I hope. What did she mean? She had to be developing serious feelings. That was it. That was the last night before the first morning of... The Atlantic turns jet black at night, especially with no ambient artificial light. The full moon overhead glows through toxic clouds hanging over our sky and blankets the street with diffused orange hues. You can smell the light salt-water breeze mixed with a sickly sweet industrial crude oil-like stench. The sludge is everywhere. Leftover poison lingers in the air and tickles the back of your throat. The civilized world only exists in pockets around the perimeter of the island, and you don't want to get caught alone by any lurkers. I sweat heavily and pull the armpits of my shirt out and find my own smell and filth hard to take. My black jeans feel tight and sticky in all the worst places. If only I could take a shower and change into something clean, then I'd be good. All the utilities in the area shut down after the accidents. No running water. No oil. No gas. No nothing. Just candlelight and survival. Itching at the facial hair on my neck, I thought I'd try to shave at Danielle's place. She always kept tons of bottled water for her workouts. There wasn't a good way to heat the water safely without electricity or gas. Even at room temperature, I could do a passable job. Danielle's house is only about two miles away from my dad's house on Central Avenue near the War Memorial between 4th and 5th. She's up in the 40s. It only took me an hour walk. There was no one in sight, and all the homes I passed were empty. The dark, ominous, sinking feeling in my guts intensifies. Here I stand, waiting, hoping, and praying. Danielle stayed home. Water kisses the shores of the harbor in back of her house. 
from my vantage point, everything looks just as it always had, save for the towering, colorful plumes reaching up like huge bonfires. Please be home. Don't leave me out here all by myself. Without you, there is nothing left. Carefully, I stepped up onto the porch and pressed the handle on the screen door. I opened it and took a breath before I knocked three times. There was no answer. I waited a moment and knocked again. She still didn't come to the door. I looked to my right and left to catch any other signs of life. Nothing. I stepped back and stepped away. Both curtains in front of her living room window were open. I pressed my face against the glass and peered inside, but couldn't see any lights on. Danielle kept a spare key under a plant on her porch. The first time she showed me, I told her I thought it was dangerous. Someone could easily get in. She laughed it off. I don't have anything worth stealing. I told her it wasn't what someone might steal that concerned me. She shrugged off my fears. I'm a tough girl. Tilting the flower pot backward, I immediately spotted the worn brass key. When I stood, my stomach knotted together. I felt a hundred eyes watching me. I wasn't supposed to be doing this. What if she was home and just sleeping? What if she just had her iPod on and couldn't hear me? What if she was just out? She'd think I was stalking her and smothering her and, Jesus, breaking into her house. I had to follow my instinct, though. Too many things could be wrong. She could be hurt. A thug might be holding her captive. She might be sick from all the awful things blowing around the island. Hurrying to the front door, I inserted the key, unlocked the door, slipped in, and turned to slide the door back in place gracefully. Once inside, I relocked the deadbolt and headed to the foyer. Danielle! Hello? You here? She didn't answer, and my instinct immediately told me I was alone in the house. I craned my head up the stairs to see if I could hear anything or see any lights, maybe hear a radio. Nothing. Then I made it to the living room. Everything looked recently lived in. There was a stack of half-open mail on the coffee table. Her remote controls were side by side. Nothing looked tussled. It didn't look like there'd been any kind of struggle, which was good. In the kitchen, the stove was cool as well. No pilot light, no gas smell. I opened the broiler and looked for the light. I couldn't see anything, as the moonlight wasn't strong enough to see into the stove. I used the small pen light on my keychain to investigate. It didn't look lit to me. Something distracted me. Danielle's jean jacket with the embroidered rose hung from the back of her dining room chair. Chills rose up my body as I reached out to it, as though it was her, grabbing the arms and wishing it really was her. Was she there? Was she close by? Had she been hurt? I reached into the pockets on the inside and found them empty, which was good. Danielle liked to carry everything she'd need in those pockets instead of carrying a purse. I heard her voice in my head. I've left my purse too many places too many times. It's easier. I remember asking her what she did when the weather became too hot to wear a jean jacket, to which she asked, when is it ever too hot to wear a jean jacket? I stood up. It was only then I noticed the folded piece of paper on the dining room table. One corner had been tucked under the salt and pepper shakers. 
Evan. The handwriting was flowery, as if she were passing me a note in middle school. She'd put a line to the right and crossed it vertically in the middle. I opened it. Hey, Evan, I bet you're wondering why I'd think to put this letter on the dining room table instead of on my door. Well, I asked myself what you'd do, and I remembered you knew where my key was. I couldn't call you. All the lines are dead. Even my cell won't work. There was a group of National Guard men that have come and told us we have to go. There are buses coming for everyone tomorrow night. Not sure where they're taking us, but it's off this island. They're picking us up at the Route 52 Causeway. I think you know where the bridge is. I really hope you find this, and I can see you hold Andy again real soon. I'm sorry about everything, by the way. These things make people look at the big picture, don't they? Maybe I was too hasty. Love, Danielle. She put a smiley face under her name with a heart next to it. Above that, she put a question mark. I reread the letter to make sure I got everything. The paper felt moist, like it had been left out on the porch overnight and had been covered in dew. Then again, so did everything. I folded the letter and slipped it inside my jacket pocket. At least she was alive, and so was Andy, and she'd mentioned us. Oh, please, God, make it true. She loves me after all. Where is she? As I went to turn around, though, I wasn't alone. An older woman stood at the opposite side of the kitchen, unsure at first how she'd gotten inside and hid from me. The broken glass at her feet and the missing window pane in back of her answered one question. Hello? I said. I'm friends with Danielle, the girl who lives here. The woman didn't move. My gaze dropped toward her arm, which she'd wrapped with multiple layers of toilet paper, dry, dark, red blood clotted, and stuck the makeshift bandages onto her skin. Small ridges of deep yellow bumps had broken out just above her bandaged arm and continued all the way up her neck and the side of her face. She had to have been really close to the site of the accident, and that meant she was extremely contagious. I'm not going to hurt you. I backed up. Her mouth opened twice, and she let out a gasping, dry sound. She was trying to speak. There was nothing anyone could do for her now. I touched many things in the house, the door handles, the cable box. Shit. Was I contagious, too? Was I infected? Damn it all! Well, having made it as far as I had without getting sick, the thought occurred to me that maybe some folks didn't get sick, and that maybe some of us would be okay, despite Ocean City being toxic enough to have instantly killed everyone. Maybe that was the problem. And I thought, maybe there were things, bigger things, just happening beyond my control, you know? There I was, face to face with someone who should have been normal. Because of situations beyond her power, the poor woman was dying a painful death. A horrid screeching sound broke the quiet. Danielle? The screech came again, and I listened so I could tell where it was coming from. Upstairs. I hurried backwards down the hall, put my hand along the banister, and raced up. The third step creaked, just as I expected. The old house certainly had personality. I sensed someone was upstairs, but I couldn't be sure. 
I went slowly, thinking for a moment that if someone was hiding and I scared them, well, they could panic, and if they had a gun, they'd shoot me, and... I stopped myself from overthinking and went forward. Who knew, after all, what might have been going on in Danielle's house after she'd left? Splashing sounds came from the bathroom. I stopped, nervous. Was it Danielle? What could she be doing in the bathroom? Hadn't she left me a note telling me she'd gone? At the top of the stairs, you're able to see right into the bathroom. The door was open a crack. The dripping sound increased with each step, becoming louder and faster. Someone inside breathed heavily as though they had emphysema. With my right hand, I carefully inched open the door. Was this her aunt? I quickly dismissed the idea. The room smelled like iodine and urine and bad breath a person was in the tub at first i only registered the big puff of erratically shaped white hair the texture reminded me of nylon pillowcase stuffing it didn't look like human hair at all she sat in the tub and was looking at something floating in the water between her knees her arms were mostly black and had withered away the flesh gone to rot and had tightened and shrunk over her bones. How could she even move? It looked physically impossible. Then she noticed me and turned. One half of her face was missing. Her lidless stare met my own. They'd gone almost completely white with cataracts, and both sockets were ringed with red circles. In an instant, I saw what she was looking at in the tub. It was what was left of her face. She'd been examining it, looking at it, probably wondering what it was. She'd been exposed early and was close to dying. I was sure she was a squatter who'd wandered in looking for some kind of shelter. Maybe she'd come with the person downstairs. That'd explain it. Probably came in together, one infecting the other. The disintegrating person in the tub was someone's mother, someone's wife, someone's childhood sweetheart now reduced to a half-blind creature swimming in her own decaying juices she sniffed the air her nostrils big and full her nose swollen and infected like the worst case of skin cancer you ever saw ha 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 with every labored gasp a fresh wave of her rotten putrid breath overcame the room. It was as though she was rotting from the inside out. I was frozen solid. I stared, hypnotized by my own repulsed curiosity. A cold hand touched my arm. Don't hurt her. The woman from downstairs snuck up on me. Then the victim in the tub splashed again. Da, da, da. I swear she was trying to say dawn or daughter or some such thing, but I couldn't tell exactly. You aren't going to hurt her, are you? Her raspy voice smelled eerily similar to that of the tub victim. My hand instinctively covered my mouth. Couldn't help myself. No, I said, just looking for my friend. She lives here. The woman looked around sheepishly. We just need a place until the soldiers come and help us she said we're not doing anything wrong she stepped closer looked me right in the eye spooked me because her eyes were all wet and shimmery 
I know. I, I understand. It's okay. Then with all I had, I pushed past her and raced down the stairs in a flash. Had to get out of there, away from them. Had to find Danielle. If she wasn't there, why should I stick around? I didn't even bother shutting the door behind me. Outside, the air was cool and welcoming. Whatever made people sick, well, hadn't got me, and wasn't contagious person to person, so we believed. The moon lit the large yellowish clouds as they hung in the night sky. Would they ever blow away? Would Ocean City ever return to normal? Shoving my hand in my pocket, I felt Danielle's letter still there. The train. Had to get to the train. Things would be better then. Things would be all right. Once I made it off the porch, I curved around back. There was a shortcut back there. If I cut through, the sludge was within a few feet of the back of Danielle's house and moved like as a river of toxic lava. When I first arrived at the house, I hadn't seen it. I'm certainly sure I would have noticed it. That meant no shortcut for me. I looked to the left, past the row of houses, and to the cross street down the way. The sludge had cut right across. I felt trapped and quickly tried to think of any alternate ways to escape. To the right, I might be able to beat the sludge to the other side and get back up onto Main Street. Hurrying as fast as I could, I darted away. There had been so many daydreams about Daniel's house, me moving in there with her, taking care of Andy, having my toothbrush there, sharing her bed, waking up next to her every morning, now with the sludge inching nearer and nearer. Best case would be just getting out of the neighborhood alive and safe. Even without the sludge, who knew what kind of mess the two rotting women would have left behind for us to clean. I thought about my dad. My dad? I called him. Are you okay? I asked. Sitting here with Grandma and Grandpa. You okay? I just heard the news. I'm heading to the evacuation trucks right now, I said. I'll call you when I get there. We hung up. A woman and her son watched me from their porch. It was dusk and hard to see, but they were there, and not just figments of my imagination. Then I noticed two men crouched down, just behind a bush. At first they looked normal, but I quickly figured them for infected. They probably knew both women inside Daniel's house. They probably thought I'd done something terrible to the women. They inched closer. I'm just looking for a friend, I called. Danielle Rousseau, do you know her? They closed in. Metal glinted near one man's side. He also had the telltale bumps down one side of his face. He'd gotten infected. My instinct kicked in, and I ran like holy hell. Bearing left, I passed several houses. There were people there, infected, sick people, watching. Where'd they come from? Why was no one here when I first walked up Main Street? Who tipped them off? Did they go into hiding? Did they think I was a threat? In back of me, the two thugs didn't run after me. I slowed down and tried to catch my breath. A part of me was afraid that someone might hurry off their porch and intercept me for them. I hoped the crowd would be too scared to get involved. One of the thugs limped. Good sign. The other thug kept in step. Most of the folks on the porches were sick. Why hadn't they fled Ocean City and looked for medical help? Why stay behind? Was it because they were standing in the homes they knew where they 
grew up and raised their families? Maybe they didn't want to die in some strange, uncomfortable, overcrowded coliseum. If that were true, who could blame them? Had it not been for Danielle, I would have holed up in my studio, let the whole nightmare pass me by. I had to find her, had to know where she was, had to say one last long goodbye to her before, well, hopefully this would all be over in a few days. Hopefully the cavalry would soon be on its way. I rushed away. Best to be out of sight and out of mind. Despite the two thugs falling way behind me, I turned left onto Bay Street and booked it into a full run. Get out of here. I was relieved and happy to find that there were no homes near me. I hurried past Saul's grocery and the diner. They'd covered the windows with planks and spray-painted, gone over them just like they always did during hurricane alerts. Now there was no one to watch me, no one to watch dying in front of me, and no one left to fear a stranger. I ran to the end of the island, to where the buses waited at the Route 52 Causeway Bridge, just like Daniel wrote. Soldiers in gas masks and protective gloves lined people up. Beside them I could see other people placing something on people's heads. Most people were waved forward. Some were pulled from the line. Then it became obvious. They were checking for fever, a fever like the one I had. Except mine hadn't come from their enemy's poisons or from the hurricane's toxic river. Nope. I'm betting mine is just a good old-fashioned flu bug, or stress, or, or maybe it's just from being overly tired. Maybe a combination of all three. I put my hand in my pocket to make sure Danielle's letter was still there. There was murmuring. It reminded me of a summer boardwalk crowd, only more tired, more scared, and more anxious. Everyone was shuffling there. I went closer, but not so close as to blend in with them. I fell back and watched them from a safe distance. No one seemed to notice me. Why didn't they use the airport? We had our own, the Ocean City Municipal, small but heck it would have gotten a lot more people out faster when i thought of it i had my answer they didn't want us leaving in a hurry to the right side of the street i could see the flag flying high over our courthouse on my fourteenth birthday my father and me walked down to the same square for a christmas tree lighting ceremony he pointed to the flag and told me how beautiful our town was how lucky and how fortunate we were to have both been born in Ocean City. I know that I'm just going to have to wait. Wait for the fever to pass. Wait until I'm better. There's no way they're going to let me through when I'm running this hot. That bus is about to leave, and maybe little Andy's on there with Danielle. Don't leave me out here all by myself, Danielle. Without you, there is nothing left. Just wondering if they're getting out safe tonight and wondering if I'm ever going to get the chance to see them again on the other side. What is there left for me without you? My home is gone. My world has been taken. Together we can start again somewhere, somehow. I can't do it alone. I need you now. As I took her letter from my pocket, I felt a sharp pain in my fingers. When I took my hand out, I saw blood. A paper cut? Little blotches of reddish moisture bloomed on the places where I'd touched her letter. Don't leave me alone. My fingertips looked bruised instead of cut. The skin was soft and tender and moist. What is there left for me, of me, 
I remembered her smile and the way she looked that night at the pier. The bus pulled away and my stomach sunk. Don't leave. My fingers hurt, my hands hurt. An aching fire-like sensation crawled through the nerves from my wrist right up to my head. It was starting, and I was sick. I'd always been so damned careful. Where did I go wrong? What did it? How did I finally catch the bug? I shut my eyes and knew. The letter. The End That was John Palisano's Long Walk Home, as read by Joseph Tabler. Joseph Tabler has written books, published books, dealt in used books for 33 years, was listed in the 15th edition of Bartlett's Familiar Quotations as one of their experts, lifeguarded for two seasons, body surfed for many years, was always told he had a good voice, in the last few years, he has volunteered for LibriVox.org, reading many chapters and characters, then was asked to join the online stage, playing various parts in their productions. Now he is freelancing, doing various audio projects. Thank you, Joseph. That will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on iTunes or Acast or wherever you found our podcast. Our show is produced by our editor, Scott Silk, and theme music by Diane Steverson. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. like to look five years younger. In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.